0: This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Live
1: from the ak Community Studios for the next hour and a half. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass as we take you up to... Pre-game coverage tonight. Suns taking on the Nuggets, the first of a back-to-back here in Phoenix. Suns finally get to play a home game. It's uh, their first one since January 6th. Uh, We'll obviously get into that a lot throughout the show tonight. We'll get into the NFL. I mean, championship weekend is here. These two games on Sunday are two of the most compelling I can remember in recent memory. I mean, really off the top of my head, I don't remember a a championship weekend where I, I genuinely felt like all four of the teams left could win the Super Bowl not like i had to be talked into one or two of them but like it, really none of these four teams would shock me if they won the super bowl we'll get into that certainly but we got to unfortunately if you went to asu like i did we got to start the show tonight with the sun devils and just the the lost season that they are now in the middle of uh the the loss last night is not it's not what made it a lost season it was just a missed opportunity to maybe to maybe salvage some of a season. If you think about where ASU came into this, this year and the expectations that they had on them, both internally and externally, I don't remember a time when Sun Devil basketball had such lofty expectations going into a season. Like maybe there was a year in there with James Harden once he was established and you knew who he was. And it was pretty clear this guy was going to the NBA and, going to make some noise in the NBA, maybe not to the extent that he has, but you you know, you knew there for a couple of years that James Harden was was going to be legit at the NBA level. But I still don't remember the team going into a season with expectations like, okay, yeah, this should be definitely a tournament team. Probably should win a game or two in the tournament, maybe even more. They showed the graphic last night and it's been this way for a while. Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley are both projected first round picks. In the NBA draft, there was a stretch there where one of them, it kind of went back and forth earlier in the season, was a projected lottery pick. And the last first round pick for an ASU player was James Harden. So we're going back a while. You have two guys projected in the first round and you're four and seven. Now, last game, last night's game specifically against U of A, like I said, it it wasn't what made this a lost season. If they were eight and three right now, but they had just lost to U of A, okay, well, big deal. Like U of A's decent, but ASU is not eight and three. This has been just an absolute lost season. And when you're talking about having NBA talent on your roster, and Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley specifically, I'm just talking about those guys specifically because you're only going to have them for this year. And some of this isn't ASU's fault. I mean, look, everybody's going through stuff this this year slash you know athletic sports season. That is out of their control. It's not ASU's fault they had a bunch of games canceled or postponed. Maybe they can fit them at the end of the year, some of them. But, I mean, that clearly messed with their rhythm. But they haven't won a basketball game in well over a month. Their last win was over GCU on December 13th. That was a game that was almost lost in the shuffle because the Cardinals were playing that weekend. I remember that. I remember remember getting ready to do the post-game show for the Cardinals. And I had ASU-GCU on, just on like a side TV, just, just so I could keep an eye on it. And I don't even feel like anybody else was watching it. That was their last win. Started the year 4-2, and two, now 4-7. and seven. So 0-5 oh since December 13th. They've also had five games postponed. Last night, like I said, is not the reason that this is a lost season, but it was sure symbolic of it. And Bobby Hurley, was uh, he was not happy afterwards.
2: I could sit here and talk about
1: our turnovers in the first half and you know some other things that I wasn't pleased with about our performance, but I thought we played a winning game and that Remy Martin deserved to go to the free throw line because he was fouled in the restricted area. Yeah, the end of the game... <laughs> He's talking about the foul on Remy Martin that uh, ASU had a chance basically to run the clock down to what it was like a second and a half, two seconds or whatever on the final possession. Remy saw an opening and went for it. I mean, ultimately, you you do really you want to make sure you run the clock down there as much as you can. But he thought he had a clear uh, path to, to giving ASU an 84-82 lead. Was he fouled? Yeah, absolutely. He was. But <laughs> it's the Pac-12, man, like Pac-12 officiating has has been awful for as long as I can remember, and it goes for your team and against your team. That's just... I, we've all accepted it, right? U of A fans have accepted it. ASU fans have accepted it. Uh, I'm sure they talk about it in all the other schools and, and fan bases around the Pac-12 too. Now, I remember being... Upset to the point where I felt sorry for the two innocent teams that weren't in the Pac-12 that got Pac-12 officials for a tournament game a couple years ago. It's like, well, you don't know what you're in for. And, and shockingly, it was not officiated well. That's, I, I don't like the school of thought of like, well, you know, if, if it's a bad call at the end of a game, you should you should have won by more. Like, yeah, okay. But in this case, it was bad calls both ways. All game. That's, it's not why ASU lost. And, and as much as I don't like that mindset or that frame of mind, like why should one team have to win by more than the other? It it does hold more weight in a basketball argument because there's just so many fouls over the course of a game. And some of them are just not good calls. Like a couple years ago when the Saints lost in the NFC championship on that that horrible uh, non call against the Rams, and everybody's like, well, you know, you should have won the game before then. Yeah, okay, that's not two of the best teams in the NFC. It's going to be close, it's going to come down to the end. The officials need to do their job. ASU last night, was it a missed call? Yeah, it was a terrible missed call. It was obvious when it happened, but it's not why ASU lost. And if you're the Sun Devils, you got to flip it around here because at this point, your only definitively meaningful game left on the schedule is Monday against U of A, a game that was supposed to be March 6th. It got moved up so that both schools could have that last week open to potentially reschedule some of these postponed games. And, you know, in theory, it's like, okay, well, we, we know we're healthy. We know you're healthy. Let's play these games basically back-to-back if we can. So ASU gets U of A in Tucson on Monday. And, you know, the season, It's is it still salvageable? you got to go on a run. You're going to have to go on a run. I mean, it's unacceptable for this ASU team to not make the tournament. Are, are, is some of this bad luck? Yeah, absolutely. They had a ton of games postponed, more than, than, than most teams. But at the same time, you can't lose to UTEP before all those games got postponed. You can't let a seven-point lead slip away in the final minutes last night against U of A. ASU's got to find a way to get this back on track in a hurry. But in terms of individual games, the only one left that you look at and you're like, okay, at least win that one is the U of A game on Monday. It's going to take a lot more than one win to make the tournament and get where ASU wants to go and quite frankly where they should go this year. But the one on Monday is you have to have that one now. You have to. We saw it in football, right? I mean, the the entire football season was lost for ASU, and that wasn't even their fault. But there was at least some redemption in going out there and embarrassing U of A in the Territorial Cup. You got to win that game on Monday. That's why last night was a missed opportunity, because at least if you won that, you're like, okay, beat U of A on our home court. Maybe we we can use that to catapult ourselves forward. But right now, the Sun Devils, it's like you see the talent but you're not seeing wins. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction.
0: The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories.
1: So well, I mentioned the Phoenix Suns in action tonight and tomorrow at home against the Denver Nuggets. This should be a good test. The Suns already beat the Nuggets earlier this year, but uh, Denver getting a little healthier. The Suns, um, you know, Dealing with uh, trying to get back on track after having that week of games at home wiped out, but without a doubt, the story right now is DeAndre Ayton. The last and for a good reason, the last two games have been two of the best of his career. And the game against the Rockets on Wednesday probably was the best of his career. So I'm not going to overreact and, and say like, "Well, he's, he's turned the corner. This is it. Now Ayton's going to be this guy." Because if he's this guy, that's that's pretty great. But just think of it this way: as we go into the game tonight and the one tomorrow against Denver, and again, bear in mind the game against uh, Houston on Wednesday went against Christian Wood, I and mean, that's it's pretty good, pretty good big man in this league. If DeAndre Ayton were turning the corner, this is what it would look like: you get a couple weeks into the season, your second year under Monty Williams, you've got Chris Paul working on you, and all of a sudden it starts to click, and. Maybe it's a game that most of the league isn't really paying that close of attention to, like the game uh, on Monday against Memphis. And then you follow it up with another one. And it's not like if he goes out there and looks like the old Aiton tonight that that's all gone. But it's like, in these two games this weekend, if he can have another one like he did on Wednesday, that's something to build on. Like I said on on Tuesday's show, now you you have tape of Aiton actually doing it in the NBA that you can point to with Aiton and say look man this this is not like a hypothetical this is you doing it at the NBA level just keep doing this very encouraging stuff for the Suns because if Aiton's going to be this guy or something close to this guy now you have different ways you can win basketball games uh, over to the NFL like I mentioned championship weekends Patrick Mahomes practiced in full today he's out of concussion protocol he's playing on Sunday I've I mean, and other than a weekend where the Cardinals were in the uh, the conference championships, which is what, once, twice? Uh, this is the most excited for games that I don't really care who wins that I've been in a while. This is going to be an excellent weekend in the NFL. It, it, I guess it could disappoint with two lopsided games, and I, I guess if they were going to be lopsided, Kansas City and Green Bay would be the winners. But I don't think they're going to, I don't see Buffalo getting blown out. I absolutely could see Tampa Bay beating Green Bay. They beat them already earlier this year. Different circumstances, different environment. And I absolutely could see Buffalo beating the Chiefs. Like I said on Wednesday, if Buffalo is going to beat the Chiefs, I just want them to have to do it with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. And now they're going to. And finally, sad news out of baseball. We've been talking about it on, on these airwaves uh, certainly throughout the day. Hank Aaron passing away last night. I mean, just a, an absolute, like a, a legend is underselling it. When you when you talk about what he meant for the game and just for, you know, just such an ambassador as a human, too. Like you just look at the stuff Hank Aaron meant to the community as as just a person, you set aside all the baseball stuff for a second, and you're like, "Wow, this is a, this is a an impressive guy. This is an incredible guy." And then you're like, "Oh, by the way, he when he retired was the home run king all time. On top of everything else, he was doing and dealing with as a person in an era where, you know, look, I understand equality is still an issue right now, but I mean, I can only imagine what it was like in the '60s and '70s." All that stuff that he's dealing with back then and, and, and you know, just uh, the amazing person he was. I never hear anybody say anything bad about Hank Aaron. You only hear amazing stories about Hank Aaron. And then you get to the actual baseball on the field and you're like, oh, by the way, maybe the greatest pure hitter ever. So, obviously, tough news. Um, it just... It, just you look at it as a a time and opportunity to celebrate what he meant not only to the uh, the the game of baseball but just to the community uh, in general and um, we're going to replay a interview tim kirkchen was on with burns and gambo this afternoon and you know tim kirkchen is all things baseball he's he really captured a lot of it so we'll replay part of that later on in the show when we come back though we're gonna get deeper into the suns match up with denver tonight and tomorrow sort of this unique scenario that's going to happen a few times this season where you get the same team back-to-back games. We've already seen it once this season with Sacramento, and the Suns were much better in Game 2. We'll talk about that next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports
0: Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you. The NFL is going to narrow its field of Super Bowl contenders down to just two on Sunday. And as I said last segment, I cannot remember a time being this excited for the final four teams. You got Buccaneers Packers at one o'clock on Sunday. And then Bills Chiefs the evening game Sunday night supposed to start at 440. Let's start, I guess, with Buccaneers Packers. And one of the things that, for the longest time, I've kind of gotten sick of in the NFL, because, I mean, it's just, it's it's overplayed. It's, you know, they make such a big deal out of the quarterback matchups. And I get it's the most important position on the field and the most important position in sports. I get all that. But so many times, they diminish the value of everybody else on the team when they do that, whether it's intentional or not. All those years where it was, Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning, it was it was always like, well Brady's the better quarterback because his team wins and, and and Peyton's not as good and you know whatever. Like at the end of the day now Tom Brady has all these Super Bowl rings so it's tough to argue with that. But in this particular game, I love the quarterback matchup. Because for as long as Tom Brady has been in the league and as long as Aaron Rodgers has been in the league, They've only met three times, and they were all regular season games. I mean, obviously Brady was in New England, and the Packers never played the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I said this earlier in the week. All due respect to Tom Brady, just the eye test, just watching these guys play, the best quarterback I have ever watched play is Aaron Rodgers. I just feel like, just watching him, I'm like, okay, that's the guy. Like, that, that's nobody's—he's the best quarterback in the league. When he wants to make a throw, he can make it wherever it is on the field, decisively— He rarely gets intercepted, and for the longest time, he really didn't have a lot of weapons. Even this past draft, they took his backup quarterback and his eventual replacement instead of giving him weapons to try and get over the hump and win him a second Super Bowl. But I say all that knowing full well, Tom Brady's got the wins. He's got the rings. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. He is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. You really can't argue it. But where I always kind of get frustrated with the conversation is it's like, well, you know, he's, he's six times better than Aaron Rodgers. He's got six rings, Rodgers got one. Yeah. No. <laughs> Mike McCarthy, I feel like, held Aaron Rodgers back for a long time. I feel like they didn't put a lot of good pieces around him. And now he's got the weapons. Brady's got plenty of weapons in Tampa, too. I just, I, I want to see this. I think a lot of people want to see this matchup because this is not the same old matchup between two quarterbacks. And we're going to talk about how. How, you know, it's, it's, we're going to, this is the 17th meeting and they're 12th in the playoffs and here we go again. Like there's, yeah, great. There's a time and a place for that. But this game more than any other in a long time to me is about the quarterbacks because we've just never seen these two first ballot Hall of Famers really match up with anything on the line. Now, you know, Brady, Brady wins. He's going for his seventh Super Bowl and trying to do it without Bill Belichick. In a weird way, Tom Brady, still has something to prove in these playoffs. All these quarterbacks do. There's a story up on NFL.com who needs this ring the most, and they had Rodgers one, and they had Brady two, just ranking the quarterbacks. You could make a case for all four of these guys. Like Brady doesn't need another ring, but in terms of having something to prove, if he goes out there and wins a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick, and he does it in his first year without Belichick, it says something, you know, I long believed that Belichick was, pick the percentage, but but more than 50% of the reason the Patriots won. Not like 90-10, but let's say 65-35 or whatever. I don't want this to sound like I'm diminishing Tom Brady, because I'm not. I absolutely think he might win the Super Bowl again this year. But I just, all those years with the Patriots, I mean, they they have, a, a, you know, a for a while there, an almost unbeatable system in place, and a lot of that's the, the head coach. Just to the sense where, like, if, if Belichick wasn't the head coach, would Brady have all those rings? Whereas if Rodgers was the Patriots quarterback all those years, they'd still have all those rings. But that's why this matchup is so compelling to me, to see these two go at it. Rodgers, to me, has the most on the line here in these next couple weeks because he's better than a quarterback quarterback that retires with just one Super Bowl I mean, he's got the Super Bowl so you can't you can't hang that over him and be like well he never won the big game he has but like I said I think he's one of the two or three best of all time and and one of the I think just eye test the best I've ever seen although I do think Patrick Mahomes may very well pass him at some point he just hasn't played long enough so Rodgers has the most on the line this weekend and in a couple weeks when they when they play the Super Bowl, if he goes that far. Brady, though, Brady has something to prove. And you go over to the other game. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if you can come out of the gate this early in your career. With back-to-back Super Bowls. You're already in truly elite company. Just having two rings, let alone back-to-back. Especially this early in your career. So he's got something on the line, obviously. And Josh Allen does, too, because Josh Allen's the only quarterback playing this weekend, starting, that doesn't have a Super Bowl. Not like he's behind schedule. He's only been in the league a couple years. Drafted the same year as Josh Rosen. But if Josh Allen wins, if Buffalo wins this year, I don't think it signals a shift of the balance of power in the AFC. that The Chiefs are going to be right there. If Buffalo beats them 31-27 on Sunday, it doesn't mean, oh, Buffalo's taking over. See you, Kansas City. Your time. No. But it really sort of amplifies the point that these are the two teams now going forward in the AFC. They probably are anyway. But if Buffalo could actually win a Super Bowl, aside from what that does for that fan base and that city, that organization that has been there but has never won, Josh Allen becomes the most popular person in like the history of Buffalo if he wins them a Super Bowl. Just a lot on the line this weekend. More, I feel like more than just, okay, here's four teams and uh, one of them will maybe win the Super Bowl in two weeks and another one will get there and play. Like, it's, there's always something on the line when you get to this point in the season. I get that. But you're talking about legacies of some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. With all due respect to Josh Allen, we could be looking back in 15 years, let's say, and saying Brady, Rodgers, and Mahomes are the three greatest quarterbacks of all time. That's absolutely a realistic possibility. I just told you. Brady's got the numbers. Rodgers, to me, is right there. And I think Mahomes can pass Rodgers someday. Mahomes does stuff that I've never even seen Rodgers do. And Rodgers does a lot of stuff on the field I haven't seen any other quarterbacks do consistently. So think about that, having three, maybe the three greatest quarterbacks of all time facing off in championship weekend. And Josh Allen is, I mean, like I said, Josh Allen's new to this, and he he's right there with these guys. Not you know not in terms of legacy. Nobody's going to match Brady and Rodgers in that respect. But just watch Mahomes for a couple years, and we're all like, okay, well, that guy's one of the best of all time. He's just got to keep playing. He's got to keep doing it. The scary thought when he when he went down in that game against Cleveland last weekend was like, it wasn't just okay. Well, what if he can't play next week against Buffalo? It's like okay. I mean, it just looked bad. You don't want to see somebody stumbling off the field like that. And, I mean, we've seen players in the past couple of years be like, hey, look, I'm not going to mess with head injuries. I'm just going to retire. Not like Patrick Mahomes is going to do that. But you just you don't want you don't want anybody racking up head injuries. But I mean, Patrick Mahomes is very clearly the face of this league right now and should be for the next 15 years. If he plays as long as Brady, <laughs> he be the face of the league for the next 20 years. So yeah, very exciting football this week, and I hope it doesn't disappoint after all this. Otherwise, I'm going to destroy this segment of radio and pretend it never happened if, if it's two lopsided games going into the uh, the Super Bowl. But I don't think there is a bad Super Bowl matchup. We talked about it earlier this week. Green Bay, Kansas City would be great, but Buffalo-Tampa would be great. I mean it, there's there's not there isn't a bad combination and we all know there have been plenty of years in the past where you're like all right if this team wins like I got to watch cuz it's the Super Bowl but I don't really want to watch. I don't want to watch the Patriots win again. I don't want to watch the Patriots play some team that doesn't belong on the field with them. This team's boring. That team doesn't deserve it. Uh, there's none of that this year. These to me are the four best teams and that doesn't usually work out that way and when you start to when you start to work in the angles of upside and being the face of the league and the future of the league and you know what this could mean for the bills and what this means for the legacies of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Some compelling storylines this weekend. Over to basketball now. The Suns with the game tonight against Denver and then again tomorrow night's 8 o'clock tip-off tonight. Pre-game coverage at 730 here coming up after our show and then 7 o'clock tip-off tomorrow. Both games At Phoenix Suns Arena, which I I still can't get used to calling it Phoenix Suns Arena, which I I like. I like it. Actually, I like the name, um, but obviously it's not going to be called Phoenix Suns Arena forever. The performance by DeAndre Ayton the other night. I think everybody was already getting excited about the Suns. We saw it nationally in the offseason, building momentum from the 8-0 performance in the bubble. And then going out there and getting Chris Paul and making some other savvy moves, like bringing in Jay Crowder. You saw the national buzz build for this team when they got Chris Paul. You saw it locally when they had that performance in the bubble. And then to start this season and to go out there and look the way they did, you know, even in the loss against the Clippers fighting back, looking dominant against New Orleans, having that back-to-back on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day where they beat Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz and Jamal Murray and the Nuggets, you could you could sense it in this city, like as as frustrated as Suns fans have been and as frustrated as just as sports fans in this city have been with the Suns for the better part of a decade now. They go on a five-game winning streak and this just flips back. It's a a Phoenix Suns town. So you, you factor all that in and then you factor in DeAndre Ayton playing the way he has played the last two games and you are absolutely, 100%, Good to go. Let's get excited about this. Again, as I said earlier with Aiton, I got to see it for more than two games to to feel comfortable that this is who he is now. But if he has turned the corner, this is what it would look like. And this is not something, when you start talking about Aiton potentially being a dominant presence, this is not something that is just exciting if you're a Suns fan. This puts the Suns in in a lot of national discussions. This is uh, Kendrick Perkins on the jump talking about the potential impact of the way Aiton played Wednesday against Houston. I can't believe you, Zach. So you just called out all those points and named out all those points and he had a monster game and dominated and you just said it's something. It's everything. <laughs> He's the X-Factor. Look, we know we know what we're going to get out of Chris Paul. You know what you're going to get out of Devin Booker. Now we need to know what we're going to get out of De- uh, Deandre, Deandre, DeAndre Aiton. I'm sorry. He has to come along and play dominant. He has to be a force like he did last night for Phoenix to even have a chance of making any type of noise this postseason, and he's doing just that. It is the CP3 effect. This is the same effect that he had on DeAndre Jordan when he was with the Clippers. CP3 brings out that killer instinct, and that's what DeAndre Aiden needs. That's what Monday and Wednesday looked a lot like to me. Chris Paul is having an effect on DeAndre Aiden already. And you know, the big thing is to do it consistently. If, if he goes back to what he's been the first two years of his career, I don't think that they need him to be the guy he was Monday and Wednesday to make the playoffs. I think this team is is a playoff team anyway. But if they are going to go out there and, as Kendrick Perkins just said in that, uh, that soundbite right there, if they're going to make noise in the playoffs, yeah, you need Aiton to be this guy. And big picture, you're going to need Aiton to be this guy because Chris Paul is not going to be here forever. I go back to what I said leading into the draft, and, and I was one of those people. I, I was not sitting here screaming, oh, you got to draft Doncic over Ayton, but I was absolutely on this show multiple times. We had Kellen Olsen on and other people we had on the show. I was very consistent in my stance of, I'm very nervous just taking Ayton without looking at Doncic because everybody outside this state is saying Luka Doncic is the pick, and as long as Doncic can play with Booker, which he could have, you got to go with that. But what I said... Time and time again, and I've said it since, DeAndre Ayton doesn't have to come out of this draft class now being the best player for it to be a good pick. Like, it doesn't help that Doncic is being historically great. But as I've said all along, when you have the number one overall pick, it's my feeling that when we look back in 10 years, that guy has to be one of the three best players from that draft. You're not always just automatically going to find the best player because you had the first pick. But you have to get a guy that ends up being one of the three best players from the draft. As it turns out, that draft is looking, at least at the very top, like it's going to be historically good. Not just with Doncic, but with Trey Young. But A, Aiden's still got plenty of time to be the second best player in that draft, and if he's the third, you know, big deal. I mean, big deal in quotes. Look, you obviously want to get the, the generational talent, but if you have the first pick in the draft, as long as you get one of the top three guys, your team's going to be... So much better off. And that's the thing with this team. They waited so long for that first pick. They can't afford to, we we can't be looking back, you know, eight years after the draft. We can't be looking back in 2026 and being like, oh yeah, Eaton, he was, you know, the sixth best guy. It can't be that. He's got to be top three. And if he plays the way he, he played on Wednesday, if he does that consistently, he'll be one of the top two. All right, we come back. The Pac-12, that's got its issues, and now it doesn't have a commissioner either. We'll get some insight on to what the, the next move is for the conference. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: Well, the baseball world lost a great person, a great ambassador, and maybe the greatest player of all time last night. Burns and Gambo had Tim Kirkjian on to talk about the impact of Hank Aaron.
3: What do you remember about Hank Aaron's career, watching him as a kid?
4: Well, I remember him being one of the greatest players of all time because I'm old enough to have seen him play in the mid and late 60s when he was a spectacular player still even though he had gotten older, obviously. Until Barry Bonds came along, he hit more homers after age 35 than anyone in baseball history. He was a great player when he came up. He was a great player in the middle, and he was a great player at the end. And he was a great clutch player also. But I remember seven fifteen like it was yesterday. I was 17 years old, senior in high school, my brothers and I sitting in the living room watching that game, and we're thinking, what if he hits a home run tonight? What if we get to watch this live? And like 10 minutes later, he had a home run. It was like the most amazing thing ever. And Tom House caught that ball, relief pitcher, in left center field, ran it into home plate, presented it to Hank Aaron, and Tom told me, he said, Hank was crying when I got there. And he said, I've never seen Hank Aaron cry before. That's how much pressure he was under, with all that he went through, which made that chase of Babe Ruth even more astounding, the pressure and the hatred and everything he, he dealt with along the way.
3: And I want to compare what he went through in chasing Babe Ruth to what Roger Maris went through in chasing Babe Ruth with the obvious distinction that you know, black, uh, that, that Hank Aaron was a, was a black man, an African-American, chasing Babe Ruth's record. But there was a tremendous amount of pressure on Roger Maris when he was going for that record. People just loved and adored Babe Ruth. But Hank Aaron, with the death threats and keeping all those letters, uh, you know, you you obviously remember both of those. What can you tell me and how do you compare the two? Well,
4: Maris went through... Hell, he lost his hair, he said, along the way because the pressure was so enormous, and it didn't help, and this was totally unfair, that they said, you're not allowed to pass Babe Ruth because you're playing 162-game schedule, and he never got to play that many in a season. Which was totally unfair. They put an asterisk next to that very briefly when everyone decided this is unfair to do this. So no matter what Maris went through, what Hank Aaron went through was more difficult, obviously, because of the race factor which was significant. I've talked I talked to Hank about that. I talked to Dusty Baker about that. But the amazing thing about it all is that Hank never really kept it like hanging on him all the time, fellas. We we had Hank Aaron in our booth in 2018 for a Braves game. Dave Fleming, Eduardo Perez, myself, with Hank Aaron sitting in between us. It was the greatest night of my professional life, getting to talk to Hank Aaron for four innings, an hour and a half next to Hank Aaron. He was so kind. He was so gentle. He was so funny. And his recall was unbelievable. And the stories he told were just incredible. And at the end, after the game was over, I shouldn't have done this, but I looked at Twitter and somebody wrote on Twitter, he said, if anyone ever looks at you like Tim Kirchin looked at Hank Aaron tonight, <laughs> you, sh- you should marry that person. Wow. That's how revered, I- that's how, that's the reverence that, Hank Aaron got from me, but he got it from everyone that he dealt with along the way. I told you guys once, Aaron Boone told me in 2014 at the All Star game. He came up to me. This is Aaron Boone who grew up in a baseball family. And he said, You're not going to believe what happened to me today. And I said, What? He goes, I saw Hank Aaron in the elevator. And I said, What'd you say to him, Boone? He goes, "I I didn't say anything. I was too afraid. I said, you didn't talk to Hank Aaron? He goes, I couldn't. I said, why? He goes, it was Hank Aaron.
2: Oh, my God. That's that how
4: revered. Great. That's the reverence that Hank Aaron had. Aaron Boone, who can talk to any man in the world about anything, grew up in a major league ballpark, went face-to-face with Hank Aaron, and was so much in awe, he couldn't even say hello. That's how great uh. Hank Aaron was, and that's how revered.
3: Tim, no need to comment on this. I'm just going to say I had a moment like that. I was in Kansas City at the Negro League Baseball Museum, and they brought out Buck O'Neill, and they sat Buck O'Neill next to me, and he stayed with me for about two hours. And I interviewed Buck O'Neill for two hours. And afterwards, I ran, and I got a Monarchs jersey, and I ran it back to him, and I said, Mr. O'Neill, I have never done this in my life, but I would be so honored if you would sign this for me. And I went home, and I framed it, and I still have it. And that was my, my moment like you had with Hank Aaron. Right. And those moments will
4: are unforgettable. It was the prof- highlight of my professional career being with Hank Aaron that day. And this is such a terrible loss for baseball because as great a player as he was, he was such a wonderful ambassador for the game in so many ways that he will be so terribly missed.
2: Tim Kirchen from ESPN, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo show. Hank Aaron passed away uh, this morning uh, at the age of 86. I, I, I want to go back to the the challenges he faced in in chasing down Babe Ruth's record, and and the you know the, the comp to Maris that Gambo asked you about, but a comp. In a different way, but in a similar way to Jackie Robinson and what Jackie went through when he was breaking into the majors and and how much class and grace and dignity that Hank handled all that with. I mean, I'm too young to remember much of anything about it other than what I've seen on highlights, but every document I've read about it said he he, – there was so much hatred, so much vile, and and yet he handled it all so well that – how how In the times that you've talked to, how difficult was that for him to deal with all of that in that moment, Tim? Well, it was
4: impossibly hard for him. Dusty Baker told me that he used to watch Hank open his mail at at his locker, and it was just the saddest, most depressing, most awful thing. And every once in a while, Dusty would look at a letter and just was repulsed, was appalled that anyone would write something like that, to another human being, and that's what Hank Aaron went through. But the strength he had often came from Jackie Robinson. He told us that night on the air, face-to-face, he said, if it weren't for Jackie Robinson, I don't think I would have ever played in the major leagues because he taught us to be strong and to beat them on the field. That's the only way to get through this. So Hank, typically gracious Hank, gave most of the credit to Jackie Robinson, and he deserves so much. But Hank deserves so much, because when we asked him again that night about the hate mail and the racism and the hatred and everything, he didn't laugh it off. Clearly, he'll never forget it. But he never let it drag him down. He never became this bitter, old, cynical man who just hated life because of what he went through in the mid-'70s. But what he did was so important for the game, for the country, uh, it was just a tremendous thing, and that's why Hank Aaron is being, you know, lauded so much today because he wasn't just a great player. What he did for civil rights in this country was very, very important. Also, following Jackie Robinson's lead,
1: yeah, impressive stuff there. Thanks to Burns and Gambo and Tim Kirkjian for that. We'll come back. Hour number two of the show begins with the reload next on ninety eight seven FM Arizona
0: Sports Station. Arizona's sports station, The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload.
1: Hour number two of the show, live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here, Cody Fincher, the bear behind the glass. It is The Reload. Let's start with ASU Basketball. Last night, it's U of A Basketball as well. In fact, maybe we should be calling it U of A Basketball. They won the game 84-82 over the Sun Devils. Just a gut punch for ASU in a, in a season of gut punches. They lose. They drop to 4-7. and seven. They had a 7-point lead late in this game. Uh, the last series of events was Remy Martin... You know, he was instructed to run out as much clock as he could. They basically could run it down to about two seconds on their last possession of a tied game ASU could have. And then, you know, you fire up a shot. Worst case you're going to overtime unless U of A grabs the rebound and somehow just chucks it down the court and it goes in. So that last drive, you're essentially playing for worst case we tie. Uh if we are able to score here, we win. And Remy he thought he had a good lane to the hoop. It looked like he did. He ended up getting obstructed on the way, and he got fouled on the way. Uh, it was a game that was not officiated well. Shockingly, on either side, it's not an excuse for ASU uh, to lose. It, it's, it's terrible timing when there's a horrible call at, right at the very end, obviously, when all the, uh, the point of emphasis and all the focus is on that moment. U of A ends up getting the ball coming down and they score on a, basically a putback slash tip in as time expires. They reviewed it, but it was, it was good. It was legitimately good. Bobby Hurley, uh, not happy afterwards with the officiating. He had this to say. We deserve to win the basketball game tonight. I thought that, uh, I
0: thought that Remy Martin, after watching it live and then watching it again on film after clearly was fouled by a player in the restricted area, that that player did not leave his feet. He was contacted. His arms did not go straight
2: up. And, and and the guy should have been whistled a foul and put on the free throw line.
1: Yeah, I mean, not like there's any disputing any of that. I think if you want to push back the other way, you can say, okay, well, ASU got some calls. Uh, I mean, U of A got calls too. It's <laughs> Look, basketball officiating, to me, can become the most frustrating because it impacts the game so directly. And if you have a poorly officiated basketball game, it's just maddening all the way through. Like, I, it is that way I'm in football and baseball and hockey, too. But in basketball, it's just, like, you just notice it. And it just builds all game. The frustration builds. And I know U of A fans run unhappy with a lot of the officiating, too. It's Pac-12 officiating. Pac-12 officiating, when it comes to basketball, has not been good for a long time. It's a story when it is good. So this is not, you know, it, I, I think... I'm not going to speak for Bobby Hurley. I agree with what he said. If you're just looking at the last minute of the game, yeah, okay, the, Remy Martin should have been on the free throw line. That, that That's, that's I honestly think, indisputable. But that doesn't mean ASU should have won. You know, U of A, I'm sure, can point to different instances in that game. I know they can and say, well, you know what? We thought this call should have gone our way. ASU could point to other ones that they thought should go their way too. I hate the old cliche of, well, you know, you should be winning by enough or that, uh, that, that missed call doesn't hurt you the officials need to do their job too but in a close game like that you know that stuff's gonna happen it just is the the good news for ASU is that they get another crack at, at U of A on Monday you don't got to wait till March 6th when the game was originally scheduled that meeting in Tucson has been moved up to this upcoming Monday nine o'clock start so a nice late one but if you're the Sun Devils You know, your season, this is a lost season that had so much potential with Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley, among other pieces on this team. I mean, Remy Martin included, but those two in particular, one-and-done guys that are supposed to go in the first round of the NBA draft, the first first first-round picks ASU has had since James Harden and the team's four and seven right now and i know a lot of it is the pandemic and games getting canceled or postponed and you never know who you're practicing for or who you're playing that stuff is all legit i don't see that as a as like an excuse i think that is legit it's impacting every team not just asu it has hit asu pretty hard this season and really in in football too uh really in hockey too they haven't played a home game yet but um it's that's just the way it is in 2020 slash 21 when it when it comes to sports right now. So ASU's uh, opportunity to bounce back is to go on a major run here to close out the season and find a way into the tournament, or to beat U of A on Monday. At least have that. If you're looking at one game to make you feel better, all right, beating Cal is not going to make you feel better. Washington, eh, okay, but if you beat U of A, there's at least something to that, and they do get a chance to turn around and do that. Coming up on Monday. NBA Suns in action tonight, hosting the Denver Nuggets. The Suns' first home game since January 6th. They were supposed to have three other ones last week, but they all got postponed. So first home game since January 6th, and they're going to play Denver tonight and tomorrow. So another one of those back-to-backs like we saw in Sacramento earlier this season. Denver's a good team. Denver is is a very good basketball team that is getting healthier. But the Suns, if they have unlocked DeAndre Ayton... I know it's just two games, but if they have this, we don't know the ceiling of this team yet. And so it immediately becomes exciting, must-see basketball because it's like, okay, wait a minute. I know, like, if you look at Chris Paul's numbers, like, just his raw numbers, I saw uh, uh, CBS had a thing out uh, this morning grading all the big-name players that switch teams, and they're like, you no, know, Chris Paul, numbers-wise, just kind of, eh. yeah I mean, He has the assist, but when you start looking at, like, his, his advanced metrics— but what they acknowledged in there, and it's they had to because it's undeniable. How much better has he made the guys around him already? And that's the thing. This is Chris Paul's floor. <laughs> like he's only going to be better over the course of the season. Right now, I feel like he came in here and heard so much about how he has to make Aiton better and you know do this for Booker and get everything going. I think he's focused on everybody else right now. What happens when Chris Paul gets rolling too? So if he has unlocked DeAndre Ayton, a. He's kind of a miracle worker if he was able to do it in what, like 10, 11, 12 games? But B, that gives the Suns a lot of different ways they can win basketball games now. And I always like the teams in any sport that can win multiple different ways. In years past with the Suns, it was, well, if Devin Booker goes off for 45, we have a chance tonight. We're seeing it this year. Booker doesn't even have to be what he was last year for this team to win games. They have, they're going to need him to be that. But right now, They are a team that can win a lot of different ways if DeAndre Ayton is the guy we have seen this week. Uh, Over to football. Championship weekend this weekend. Chiefs-Bills, the evening game on Sunday. Packers-Buccaneers, the afternoon game. I just love these matchups. I really do. I I think Packers-Chiefs would be maybe the most compelling Super Bowl, but honestly, the Bills in there maybe makes it more, it certainly gives more raw emotion to the game, so you can't argue with that just really looking forward to these games more so than I typically am uh, heading into championship weekend Hockey, the Coyotes, we're going to play Vegas again tonight. Stop me if you've heard this before. They also played Vegas on Wednesday and Monday, and they're going to play them on Sunday coming up. But uh, the third of four straight against Vegas, it's the first time since they moved to Arizona that the Coyotes have played four straight regular season games against the same team. Schedule's all messed up this year. You only play seven teams over the course of 56 games. They're not playing anybody else four straight times, though. That This is, this is a one-time thing at the start of the year. And they got to bounce back against Vegas. And it doesn't help when you're playing four straight right out of the gate against maybe the best team in the NHL. Vegas is right there. So we'll see if the Coyotes can bounce back tonight. They had the game Monday 1, it looked like. And uh, we're going to talk to Craig Morgan here shortly of AZ Coyotes Insider to get his thoughts on what we've seen so far from the Coyotes. And finally, in baseball... Sad news, Hank Aaron, the uh, all time home run leader in a lot of people's eyes. He certainly was that guy when he retired. One of the greatest players of all time. One of the greatest, just pure hitters. Great ambassador for the game. Just a great person. Touched so many people in the sport and outside the sport. Passes away last night. So, tough run for Major League Baseball losing Tommy Lasorda and Don Sutton and Hank Aaron in such close proximity. But uh, that's, uh, you just, on a day like this, you just kind of take the opportunity to remember what a guy like that did and what his impact was and you know for somebody like me that that wasn't born yet when he was when he was playing the game It's kind of an opportunity to go out there and just talk to people who got to see him play and have stories. And we played some of the Tim Kirkton audio uh, earlier in the show. Just stuff like that to kind of educate yourself on the impact this guy had. All right, we'll come back. We're going to talk to Craig Morgan and get some thoughts on what the Coyotes need to do to start beating Vegas because that's obviously a big part of their schedule now. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: down hosted by Luke Lipinski. Luke, I am your father. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. Joined now on the Culture Automotive Group sports line by Craig Morgan, the creator and uh, writer. Can I call you lead writer of AZ Coyotes Insider? I guess you're the only writer on AZ Coyotes. I prefer Czar. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> coyotes insider Czar, Craig Morgan. Uh, yeah, look, if you're a hockey fan in this city, you know Craig Morgan is the guy to turn to with, uh, with any and all of your Coyotes news and needs. So we figured, hey, the Coyotes are playing tonight, fifth game of the season. Most of them have been against Vegas, and they'll play again on Vegas, uh, against Vegas on Sunday. So let's start there, Craig. Of all the teams to have to play four straight times in your first six games, Vegas maybe isn't the best one.
5: Definitely not. Like I, I put Vegas and Dallas in in that group, and that's about it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
5: it's just they're big, they're heavy. They it's not a good matchup for the Coyotes. And well, I mean, it, they they played well in that first game. I thought they had a chance to win it. Really, they had so many chances to get that three zero lead, and I think that would have made a difference. And they probably would have won that game. But then that second game, I mean, they had a quick start. But as soon as Vegas scored that first goal, man, it was it was a one sided game.
1: Yeah, um, that dynamic we don't know it entirely how it's going to play out this season obviously this is the only time they play the same team four straight times it's the first time they've ever done it in the regular season but all of their games are in pairs this year so this one in particular it sort of feels like a playoff series even though it's the start of the season but just that dynamic of playing the same team over and over and over again even if we're not going to see four straight again this season every every matchup is going to be back-to-backs or you know two games in three days against the same team How does that, in your mind, impact the the team on the ice, and how how much more emphasis does it put on coaching?
5: Well, yeah, because there's adjustments from game to game, so I I definitely think you see more of it there. As as everybody has said, it feels more like a a mini-playoff series, so you get familiar with the team, you you get to know their tendencies because you're playing them back-to-back-to-back-to-back games in this case. So, yeah, you have to make some more adjustments. You have to make adjustments as a player, too, though, because you have to recognize what teams are trying to do to you, so maybe... In some ways, it helps you because you know what to expect. But I don't know. I, I, when I look at a series like I, from a production standpoint, I, I don't feel like you can go into like this war game series and get anything less than three points and, and feel that you're surviving. Uh, and they've already obviously given away four points. Um, I thought they should have at least gotten one out of that first game. So they're in a, a tough spot here. They, they have to uh, have some success in these two games at home.
1: Yeah, Vegas is so relentless, to your point. It, to be up 2 nothing with 23 minutes left in that game uh, earlier this week, that's now looking back, it's like you, you kind of had to have that that one because it doesn't seem like Vegas is going to let up here at all. Uh, the game tonight, a little bit of a different look, and we're going to get a closer look at the main prospects in the coyote system in this one. Let's start with Victor Soderstrom, a guy I wasn't sure how much, if any, we were really going to see play at the NHL level this year. What do you think about the move to get him in the lineup? Obviously, Oliver ekman Larson is out.
5: Yeah, that's, that's a factor. There are several factors here. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that they would have played Victor this season if several of these factors that I'm talking about now hadn't cropped up. Oliver being out is, is obviously a huge one. Um, but also, when you look at the production that they're getting from their blue line blue line right now, other than Jacob Chikrin, they have one point from the five other defensemen that have played that aren't named Oliver Eckman Larson So that's a problem. I mean, you, you pay, first of all, you pay this blue line a lot of money. So you expect some production from them. They haven't been able to do it. They haven't been able to get anything from that week's ID that they like to activate. And you saw the value of it against Vegas. I mean, they got two goals from Shea Theodore and one from Alex Petrangelo. So they're going to try it for that reason alone. They need to find out what they've gotten him. They're, they're going to make it kind of a little experiment. I think here, we'll see how he handles it. Obviously he's got some defensive details to work on, but they know he's a good puck mover. They know he can, uh, Work a power play, and he's going to see some time there. Look, if it doesn't work out after a few games, they can always send him down to Tucson, and he can develop there, and that's that's fine. That if that's if that's the case, nobody should be angry about that. They have to make sure that they're not forcing these prospects into these situations too quickly, but. Here we are. Victor Soderson's going to make his NHL debut
1: tonight. Yeah, and look, 19 years old playing defense at the NHL level. I mean, what I have seen of him, he he looks pretty smooth. He looks pretty confident um, and just sort of comfortable out there. But that's going to be different when you've got Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty and, and Vegas running at you with, with everybody watching at the NHL level. Uh, but that's the key, right? I mean, you have to remember how young he is. And also, when you're playing defense, usually it takes you a couple of years to break into the league and really make an impact consistently.
5: Yeah, it, it, that's definitely true. For By and large, there are very few guys at that position. I think it's the most difficult position in the game. So he's got us challenged. Like you said, they're playing Vegas to a big, heavy team. At least it's coming at home so you can protect them a little bit with the last line change and offensive zone starts, things like that. But He's going to be in some situations against Vegas that, you know, where as Rick Toggett says, put on the big boy pants because this is a tough team to play against.
1: <laughs> well, uh, talking to Craig Morgan of AZ Coyotes Insider and the Natural Hatrick Podcast here on ArizonaSports.com with me. The nice plug. yeah, I figured I would work that in there. I'm, I'm trying to be more uh, more pluggy. Uh, Baird Hayton stepping into the center role tonight and you know it's early in the season who knows he didn't play the other night I mean who knows if this is a a permanent thing or anything like that but big picture you and I have talked about this before they need Barrett Hayton to be really a top two center if not a top one center he might be the most important guy in the organization if he can you know reach that potential
0: yeah I
5: would agree with that completely and we've talked so many times about this team's need for top six centers um they haven't had one in 20 years, um, so they're gonna they're gonna see what he looks like. This is his, his position. This is where he needs to play. Now you can you can certainly say, okay, maybe he needs to play on the wing for another year, and that's where they started him in the first four games. But eventually, he has to play this position. And again, we're in a situation where the Coyotes aren't just they're they're not getting much out of their center position. Again, um, Nick Schmaltz I think has had some good moments offensively, but they're not driving a lot of play from the center position. So. You might as well take a look and see what he can give you. Plus, you got Derek Roussard playing in the middle, and Derek Roussard has said very candidly that he views himself as a wing at this point in his career. He's more comfortable at that position. So that's what we're seeing here. Now what I wonder further, you know, with, with Barrett, if he doesn't have success here, do you put him back at the wing? If he, if he doesn't really look like he's making an impact on your team this year, do you have the courage to put him in Tucson as well and let him play a year in the AHL, even if it means two of your top prospects just – you know, basically are out
1: of sight. Yeah, it's it's such a fine line to walk because you don't want to destroy his confidence, but you obviously, and, and you want to get him reps too, but despite the fact that the game on Wednesday looked fairly lopsided, that's Vegas. I mean, the Coyotes do have a shot to make the playoffs this year, so you don't want to be, you don't want to just be throwing away the season. It's it's a fine line for Rick Tockett to, to walk there, certainly. Uh, you mentioned, we were talking about defense and, and the young players back there. I mean, one of the guys that stepped right in a few years ago and played and is really taking steps forward now Jacob Chikrin, uh, you know, look, he's not a finished pro- product defensively, but he's giving them offense from the blue line. And, and like you said, with Oliver out now, and he had the three assists in the one game, but with, with no Oliver ekman Larson, that's really where all their offense is coming from, from the blue line.
5: Yeah, it is. I think he was tied for second among NHL defensemen in points going into last night's games. I did look at the update, but I also looked at, you know, one, one of the key stats that a lot of people will look at is expected goals. And I think he was second in that category as well per natural stat rate. So that's, that's a good sign. He's generating offense. They need more of that from Jacob Chickering. He is, as we know, really gifted at jumping up into the play. He's got that big shot, which he has to get through more. He's getting too many blocks right now, but it's a good sign. You know, they needed him to take, take a step forward. I thought he had a good regular season last year, but he split a bit in the playoff bubble. So, for him to get off to a, a good start is a good sign for them.
1: Another guy you figure this team is building around, uh, Connor Garland, who he was he was a fan favorite before he ever really stepped into the lineup for the Coyotes. And then, and then when he did, I, th- I think most people, I think maybe even Rick Tockett, thought like, okay, this guy will be a third or a fourth liner. You know, he led the team in goals last year. And so far out of the gate this year, he really has been the driving force on offense. Phil Kessel has the four goals, but Connor Garland's really been a major focal point of the offense.
5: No question, he's been a catalyst for their offense. I think he's he looks even better than he did last year. And and he talked about it. Uh, you know, when we had him on the podcast, he talked about trying to be a more complete player, pro- trying to be a better distributor, and and trying to be more cognizant of all you know all situations on the ice, even you know his play away from the puck, so that he can get more minutes. He's getting that, and he's making the most of it right now. I mean, Luke, there have been some plays already in these first four games where I just my jaw drops watching him. There was one where he was in the corner and he just. Change directions like four times, and it was just unbelievable to watch. He's an electric player.
1: Yeah, his ability to change directions—it looks like a video game when you see him do it. When, when, he, when he's like <laughs> when he's on his game. Uh, Phil Kessel. Let's, uh, let's say, last year very disappointing season, as Phil himself has said, it was a quote awful season unquote. He had fourteen goals, seventy games throughout his career. I mean, this is a guy that has three hundred seventy five career goals in a thousand seventy games. He's come up big in the playoffs before. He's won a couple Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh. Last year, you hope, if you're the Coyotes, fingers crossed, that that was the outlier, that it was an anomaly, and so far this season, four goals in four games.
5: Yeah, and and I think some of that, we'll see if it has something to do with it. You know, you never know because you're not there for the training, but it looked like Phil committed himself to a little more training this offseason than he has in the past. You know, he's, he's gotten away with just doing what he needs to do because he's Phil Castle and he can score goals. But he had a, a really bad year last year. And I, I talked to the guy, the, the trainer that he worked with, Tommy Powers, who used to work with the Coyotes, and he said he was there every day. He was asking for extra stuff. He, he trained like he hadn't trained before. And we'll see if it has an effect long-term in this season. But clearly he's off to a good start, and the Coyotes need him to score goals. He has to be scoring goals when he's on the ice. That's
1: why he's here. Uh, Craig Morgan of AZ Coyotes Insider. Last one for you, Craig. Clayton Keller off to a good start, in the at least in the San Jose games, kind of disappeared a little bit so far against Vegas. What uh, What is the key in your mind for him this season? I mean, he's making a lot more money now. If I, If I start to read off the list of players around the league that Clayton Keller has a bigger cap hit than, it's staggering. I mean, it's some of the better players in the NHL. How do you feel like he'll respond to the additional pressure he has now making that money?
5: I don't know how he'll respond. It seemed like he did the right things in the offseason. I like the way he started. I even like the way he played in the playoff bubble last year. So he is putting in the time. And I, I, you look, you talk to people around the organization, and they'll all tell you that's not a problem with Clayton Keller. He is a student of the game. He watches tons of video. He works hard. So that's not an issue. But he has to be, you know, he has to be competent defensively. But then he has to play between the dots offensively. He has to keep doing that. And against a team like Vegas, it, it's not as easy because they are. Big and heavy, and they they're, they're going to make you pay for it, but he has to be willing to do that if he's going to continue to produce
1: yeah, and certainly, I mean, along with a guy like Nick schmaltz, it's Phil Kessel, Clayton, Keller, Connor Garland right now need to drive the offense on this team, and they were uh, for the first few games. We'll see if they can get it back tonight. Craig, good stuff uh, as always. thanks a lot for the time and enjoy the games against Vegas that seem to go on until the end of time. <laughs> Alright Luke, see you in a bit. Alright, thanks a lot. That's Craig Morgan. Joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line, Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference. Visit CoulterCadillacTempe.com and yeah, like I said, you can check out his stuff on AZCoyotesInsider.com and uh, you can you can hear him on the Natural Trick Podcast here on Sports.com with me. Alright, that's going to do it for us here tonight. We've got Suns and Nuggets here coming up at the bottom of the hour. Pre-game coverage starting in just a few moments. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been the Rundown on ninety eight. 7FM, Arizona Sports Station.